How are you guys doing? Good? Okay, that's, that's, that's a little better. Well, we'll try to warm you up a little bit. Hey, before we, uh, before we get into the word, um, I got a word for all of us that is, I think, very timely. Um, but um, before we get into that, just this, vi- this video, I, I love it. I love the, you know, the scripture that is being um, highlighted through this uh, video. Uh, but especially that one verse, verse 4, uh, which we're not going to get into this morning. You know, we're going to uh, dig into verse 1 and 2. But verse 4 says this. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. Man, these few words. Um, actually, when I, when I heard those um, in the first service, you know, God really triggered something in my heart. As, as some of you already know by now, and especially if you're part of the um, email, you know, if your name is in the database, you should, should have gotten a, an email from me earlier this week about a, uh, the Christmas offering we're doing this year. Uh, which is uh, all about Zimbabwe. Uh, some of you know that we have um, about 20 churches in, in Zimbabwe. Uh, pastor Dixon is the, uh, is the lead pastor there, um, and you, you probably have met him uh, at some of our events, or uh, Pastor Sam, from, who lives in Wales, but then is, spends about four months a year in Zimbabwe as well. And uh, he's, a, he's a well-known uh, person around here as well. And, um, but... Listening to these words from the scripture um, basically brought to life, you know, what the vision is that we have for the nation of Zimbabwe. If you know Zimbabwe, Zimbabwe is one of the poorest countries at the moment with 95% unemployment. Uh, it's, it's, it's horrendous to see what's going on right there. But we got to remember that, that only in the, in the 80s and 90s, this was one of the wealthiest countries in Africa. And, um, and, and one of the Basically, the slogans that we have uh, with Celebration Church and all the sponsors that we have uh, that, that get behind our, 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 our feeding programs there, our slogan really has become restoring the, bad breast, the bread basket of Africa. And this is really something really, uh, powerful that we, that we want to get into. Um, as you most, uh, some of you know, we, there's 81,000 children that we're feeding every day through, through the school system, about 140 primary schools, and, and they, they're feeding those kids every day uh, a healthy meal, which is porridge. You know, it's a, it's a blend of soy and, um, and, uh, and um, uh, corn. Um, so it's maybe not something you would <laughs> appreciate eating, but it's the only meal these kids are getting, and there's vitamins added to it, so it's going to be a healthy meal for all those kids. And, but the, the fact is that 35,000 of those 81,000 kids are in danger of losing the sponsoring for their meals because one of the partners that we're working with is pulling out, which is a sad story, um, but it, it's sometimes how things run. You know, uh, I love it when, when the Lord uses those adversities and gives us creativity to come up with a solution that's better than where we were before. I mean, you love that too. God is a God of creativity, right? So, um, so our team in Zimbabwe, they, they came up with a whole new idea to actually start producing the food ourselves rather than importing it from South Africa or from the capital city, Harare. And um, so we're, we're going to be building this, this uh, factory in Zimbabwe near Bulawayo, which is where our main um, campus is there. And um, this, this factory will produce all the food for those 81,000 children and will cut the cost in half. So with the money that we're current, currently getting from those sponsors, we could actually pay for all those kids. So, the, so, so they will be out of danger, you know, there. 
with that. But there's even, there's even better news that's added to this because the factory has overcapacity. So there will be a day when we actually get to produce food for, for other you know, commercial clients, which will pay for all the children we're feeding so we can feed even more children than the 81,000 we're currently feeding. And there's a whole other stuff that, that goes on behind this, but it's a very strategic uh, plan that we get involved with. Um, and um, I'm just you know, so glad that uh, you know, this Christmas we could actually bring hope to the nation of Zimbabwe in a way that is not just for a one-time thing, but it's actually an ongoing thing and will feed thousands and thousands of children on a long-term basis. So anyway, so last week I announced that, um, that our church will be um, matching any, anything that is being given from our church up to 5,000 euro. Well, and then I saw last week that um, actually somebody from our church gave 5,000 euro. So I'm like, well, it's great. Now, now the church can multiply this so we can actually give 10,000 euro towards this project. <laughs> but now I can't say that we match funds anymore because we're up to the 5,000. So I'm, I'm hoping, I'm praying that there will be some people that, oh, there's some other ways we could actually still match the funds here uh, if, if people give. But I know there's many more of us who want to give to this amazing project. And uh, let me tell you this, the total amount uh, in euros is about 450,000 euro for this, uh, for, this, for this plant, to build this plant. And um, already $300,000, which is about... Um, 270,000 euro came in uh, um, two weeks ago when I was in the States. Amazing, right? Let's give the Lord a hand for that. So, so there still is a little way to go, to, to go uh, all the way up to the 450,000 uh, euro. But I know this is going to happen this Christmas. Not just from, from here, don't worry. I'm not asking you to give 50,000 euro or whatever unless the Lord speaks to you, right? <laughs> Don't worry about that. But there's, we're, we're partnering with churches around the world, uh, with churches in the States, in Belgium, in France, uh, you know, our own Celebration Church Paris, um, and, and many other churches around the world to actually make this happen, to actually give hope to Zimbabwe, to actually bring the church in Zimbabwe to a place where it, it can help restoring the breadbasket of Africa. And even beyond that, be, bring hope to the other nations in Africa and around the world. I really believe we're, 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 uh, great days are ahead of us with this, this amazing plan. So I want to invite you to, um, to, to pray about this. Um, our, our deadline is the 31st of December. Uh, but it's better to, to, to send it in a few days early so you make sure you have like tax benefit and everything of that in this year. Um, but um, we will be highlighting this next week and during the Christmas Eve service to basically invite everyone to be a part of this and really see hope brought back to the, to the nation of Zimbabwe. And uh, so make sure that when you give, you can do this for the website of uh, Celebration Church. Make sure you mark it as... Uh, either as Africa or Zimbabwe, so we know where, where it needs to be sent to, okay? So that's very important to know, and uh, it's going to be awesome to, to do this together. So today we're, we're going to be looking at uh, Isaiah 61, verse 1 and 2, and the title of my message today, if you pay close attention, is, I'll be back. Now, which movie is that a quote from? You Remember? Terminator, yes. You got the prize. Terminator, 1984. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Man. 
Who would have ever thought I would be preaching about Arnold Schwarzenegger here at Celebration Church? He's, a, he's an Austrian. And he even made it to be the governor of California. How amazing is that, right? There's hope for Austrians. My wife is from Austria. That's why I'm saying this. I have to say this, right? Um, so anyway, so, so it, this, this whole statement, I'll be back, is like, like Arnold Schwarzenegger, he popularized it. Yes, of course, you know, if you know the movie, um, it's the 1984 movie. Um, this actually, um, he was the bad guy. <laughs> he was um, like an a, like a evil killer machine robot, right? And uh, so he's not actually, you know, something, it's not a wholesome <laughs> type of movie <laughs> per se. However, um, he showed up at this desk at the, at the police office and the, the, the agent there didn't really want to help him. So he got real angry while in, inside because he, there's no emotions with the robot, right? So, uh, so he, he told him, I'll be back. And he went outside and I don't know, it was a car, like with a car or something. They ruined the whole front side of the police station, made his point. Anyway, that's the whole thing uh, with Arnold Schwarzenegger. And he didn't even want to take this job, you know, to be the actor of this, uh, of this movie because he didn't want to be the bad guy. But like the, the, the director of the movie, he convinced him to take this role and he actually got really famous as a result of this. So actually you can um, become famous by being the bad guy in a, in a movie like this. So, so far, Arnold Schwarzenegger. There was somebody else who also would have said, if he would have lived in today's world, he would have also said, I'll be back. Probably with a different tone. And, and with a little more love in his eyes than a, um, like a robot killer machine. And his name is Jesus, right? And we're going to be looking at his story, not from the New Testament. We're going to be looking at the Old Testament because the Old Testament looks forward to his coming in the New Testament. So we're going to read um, Isaiah 61 verse 1 and 2. We're going to be praying and then we're going to ask the Lord to, to open our hearts for, for this word. And, and it's going to be a powerful word that I believe can change our lives for, for, for the years coming. Lord, we come to you at this moment. We ask, we, we, we ask you just to be amongst us, Lord, to show your glory to us, Lord, as we sang in that song. God, fill this house with your glory. Fill our lives with your glory, God. And Father, we pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts for the words that you want to speak to us this morning. God, may those words not be my words, but your words. May they change our lives from the inside out. God, we ask that in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So let's go to Isaiah 61, verse 1 and 2. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. I'm going to stop right here. The day, the, the year of the Lord's favor. That's an awesome thing to hear, right? The year of the Lord's favor, the year of grace, the year of God's love, that his love will be on display. That's, that's what this man, this, this messianic figure that Isaiah is speaking about, this, this messianic king, this king who was, like this person who was anointed to be king, that's what, what his mission will be about, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, which is the year of jubilee. A year where deaths will be um, canceled. A year when uh, land that had been lost by families will be returned. A year when slaves will be set free. That's the type of year that the Messiah, the Messianic King, Jesus, will be bringing in, will be proclaiming. 
But then the second part, the day of vengeance of our God. Not just the good stuff. There will also be judgment coming when the Messiah would come. Now this is so much a part of the Jewish mindset, the Jewish theology that, that people had in a day when Jesus walked around on this earth. When, when Jesus started out his ministry in Luke chapter 4, you see that Jesus goes to the city of Nazareth, small town. And he goes to the synagogue and he proclaims this very message. He, you know, he, I, I think it wasn't like an accident or so, but they handed him the scroll of Isaiah and he looked up this passage and started reading it. I want to go with you to uh, Luke chapter 4 and, and see what it says right there. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and he found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight of the, to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Do you notice the difference between Isaiah 61 verse 1 and 2 and this version that Jesus is bringing of the same Prophecy in Isaiah. You notice that like he, he stops when at, at, at the year of the Lord's favor and, that, and he doesn't speak about the day of the vengeance of our God. Was he forgetting something right here? Did Jesus, you know, lose his memory or something like that? Didn't he memorize the scripture right? Or was he trying to tell us something? with this you can imagine what happened in the synagogue right there i mean you have all these people sitting in the synagogue kind of like you were sitting right and they were listening to the speaker they were listening to jesus speaking and bringing this message and and he's like well they're like well we're, we're at the edge of our seats because we're already expecting the messiah to return in our day i mean in jesus day there were all these people that were proclaiming like repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand i mean this was what john the baptist was doing this was what jesus was doing there were many other jewish preachers that were bringing the very same message in their day so there was an expectation that this messianic figure would arrive on the scene in their day so here you have this jesus figure in their synagogue preaching and he stopped short of that one part of the story right here why it's kind of like this mic drop i won't do it moments and jesus just stops short of something really important that is about to follow right there you know the expectation of the jewish hearers in that synagogue was when jesus when the messiah would come they didn't know his name would be jesus when the messiah would come he would do two things. He would bring grace, favor to God's people, to Israel, on one hand. And he would also judge the enemies of Israel. Two things they were expecting. 
It's pretty clear in the scripture right here. I mean, it's basal scripture that this was their belief. But the problem is many times with, with prophecy is that it, it is multi-layered. It's, it's sometimes we, you know, uh, it's something is, is projected in scripture and it looks like it's one event, but then it turns out to be two events. Or something looks like it's going to be two events and then it turns out to be one event. Because we, we look in a mirror, we don't, we, we, we don't look at things straight. You know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, the, the mirror is dim. We, we can't fully see ahead of us. We see some pictures. We see some, some, of the, some of the pieces of the puzzle, but we don't see the full picture yet. And that's what's going on right here. His hearers, they think that the Messiah, when he would come, it wasn't if he would come, when he would come, would not only fulfill the first part, bringing in favor to Israel, but he would also bring judgment on God's enemies. So Jesus was either forgetting something or was trying to make a point. Every word that Jesus speaks is valuable. Every word of Jesus that he speaks brings life, right? Does everybody believe that with me? Every word that he doesn't speak is for a reason also. He was telegraphing something by leaving this one part out. He was trying to make a point by leaving the second part of the scripture out. And the point is very clear. When you look at the ministry of Jesus, when you look at the ministry of the early disciples, and that is that the message, the year of God's favor wasn't only there for Israel, for the Jews. It was for everyone. It was for Jew and Gentile alike. It was for, for, for people from Israel. It was for people from the Netherlands, from Suriname, from Nigeria, from, uh, from, from Asia, from anywhere in the world. The message was for all of us. The year of favor of, our, of the Lord has been inaugurated when Jesus came to town the first time. That's why Jesus came. But he didn't just come for the first part, to bring favor not just to Israel but to everyone. There will be a time when he returns in the future, when he's coming back not as the, as, as the, as the lamb who was slain, but he comes back as the lion of Judah, as the conquering king. He's going to return. And the point he was making by leaving out the second part of the prophecy was like, hey, yes, the, the day of vengeance of our God is going to happen. It's just not going to happen right now. Today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus' point is extremely clear. We live in a time of favor. We live in a time of grace. The doors of God's grace and of his favor, of his love are wide open. And that is, that is the message that you and I, we're called to gospel this. We're called to evangelize it. We're called to, to bring this message of God's favor into the world around us. To our neighbors, to our friends, to our colleagues, to our, you know, our, our classmates, to anyone that, who may listen. We're called to bring this message out into the world. That God is a God of love, a God of grace, a God of favor. That God's not mad at you. God is mad about you. That's the message we're called to, to bring. And, 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 and even beyond that, we're, the message that we're supposed to bring the gospel is the message of the, of the king and his kingdom. That's the message we're bringing into the world. That actually Jesus is king, not the kings of this world. 
And that the best thing we could do in our life right now is to bow our knee before the King of kings and the Lord of lords until it is too late, until the day of judgment is, is upon us. Better do it now than later. Right? Every knee will have to bow, but it's, if we do it right now, we know we get to be a part of his kingdom. We know we will live eternally with our king in his kingdom. So when Jesus came the first time, his mission was to reverse something that happened in early human history. That was his main, his main goal. You know, when you look at the, at, at, the, at, at the book of Genesis, the first book in the Bible, you know, when you, when you talk about the word, rebel, word rebellion, you know, most of us Christians, we think about what happens in Genesis chapter 3. And here you have this, this perfect world. You have the Garden of Eden. There you have a man and, and, and his wife, Adam and Eve, and they're, they're there and they're enjoying the garden. And then this snake comes around. The serpent comes around. And he basically lures them into eating of a fruit that God had commanded to them that they shouldn't eat, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he's, he's like, he's, he's doing everything he can. He's manipulating everything in such a way that they think this is actually the most, the best looking fruit in the whole garden. Well, why don't you take this fruit? Why don't you eat this? It'll, it'll, it'll make you, you know, it'll make you like God. That's what the serpent says. So obviously we, we know the story. They eat from the fruit and they get kicked out of the, Garden of Eden. They're not supposed to be there anymore. And I think that's a good thing because imagine that they would have stayed in the Garden of Eden, um, that they would have lived eternally with the rebellion in their hearts. I mean, imagine, living, imagine having Adolf Hitler live for, uh, you know, without limit. Imagine that, the evil. And the evil was already in the hearts of the people of humanity at this early on in, in Genesis. Genesis 3, the Garden of Eden, the story right there. When you would ask a Jewish person in the time of Jesus, if you ask them about rebellions in the Bible, if you, if you ask them about sin and how that all came to being, what do you think their answer will be as to what would be the, most, the worst part of human history? Would they direct you to Genesis chapter 3? Or would they direct you to another place in Scripture? Well, the answer is that actually they, they, they would have told you that Genesis chapter 6 is a way worse rebellion than Genesis chapter 3. There's three rebellions happening in Genesis that are worth noting that actually describe, you know, when you look at the effects of those rebellions and what they've done in the world, it actually describes the world as it is today really well. But we don't have time to get into all, all the details there. But Genesis 6 is, you know, for those of you who know, know a bit about the Bible, it's kind of like the start of, of, the, of the flood of Noah. Like how God brought, brought a flood on the whole world to judge the world. And this all had to do with the fact that, you know, um, and it's a very odd scripture, and I can't make it look more beautiful than it is, but it says like the, the sons of God came into the daughters of men. It's weird. It's weird. I, I, I know. But it's there. And you can start, try to start to explain it away. And there's been, there have been theologians who try to de-emphasize the supernatural aspect of what was going on right there. They all failed. 
Nice, nice theories, but it doesn't make sense. It doesn't do justice to the biblical text. The only solution you could have for the story here in Genesis 6 is that actual sons of God, actual um, supernatural beings came to the earth, mated with the women, human women, and produced offspring that they called the giants, the Nephilim. And uh, so, so these giants, they, they, you know, whether they're like really tall or whether they're like a giant, like a real famous like warrior or something like that, I don't know. I mean, there's different theories about it. doesn't really matter. But the fact is that there was something evil happening in those days in Genesis chapter 6 with those evil spiritual beings who tried to create their own imagers just like God wanted to have his imagers, right? And that's, that, that's was, that was Adam and Eve. They're, they were called to be his imagers. Now these, 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 these evil supernatural beings wanted to do the same thing. They wanted to create their own imagers, their own representatives, their own offspring here in the world. That's what's going on. And God sees it. He sees the evil that is unleashed as a result of this. Like literally every single person in the world was, 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 was bad, except for one man, Noah. So God sends a flood, destroys everything on the earth, and then takes Noah and goes on with him. Interesting story. It's like there's this remnant. God uses this remnant, and he's, he, he's working with this, this one man, Noah, to, to continue human history. Something similar happens in Genesis 11. That's the third rebellion I want to highlight. This is the story of the, the, the Tower of Babel. I think we've all heard the story of the Tower of Babel. You have, you know, people doing everything they can. They, they, they're, they're flocking to one place. They live in one place, Babel, and they're building this temple tower. And the plan with the temple tower is basically to twist God's arm, force him to come down and dwell among his people. Well, God always wanted to dwell among his people, but on his terms, not on their terms. God always wanted to be with us, you know. He always wanted his presence to dwell with his people, but this was something different. So, they, so all they wanted to do in Babel is to create a human hierarchy, to, create, to basically create power structures to make sure that there's a few people at the top who, who force everything down the throats of everybody else in the world. And God sees it. He sees the power of what they're doing. He sees that, that because of the unity that they have, uh, they could be extremely successful in what's going on. And he says, up till here, we're going to stop this whole thing. We're going to confuse their languages, which, which will force them to spread out over the whole earth. Actually, Genesis chapter 10 shows a table of nations, the nations that were basically came, came out of this whole story and that spread out over the whole earth. But then Genesis 12 gives us hope. It's like, where's the hope, Lord, in all of this? Genesis 12 gives us hope because there's this one man, Abram, and his wife, Sarai. He's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work with them. I'm, I'm still going to create a remnant. The rest of the world, I'm going to leave them. I'm going to put them to the side. I'm going to basically disinherit them for now. And I'm going to work with Abram and Sarai. And I'm going to create a new nation. And I'm going to create offspring from them. I'm going to create a line, a pure line that will eventually lead to Jesus. Because Jesus is the offspring of David, King David. He's the offspring of Abraham. Many generations later. 
Genesis 11. It's a crazy story. And so Jesus came to offset all these rebellions in the, in the, in the Old Testament, in particular in, in Genesis 11. But the interesting thing about Genesis 11 is that, you know, with God spreading those nations out to the, to the corners of the world, something also happens in the spiritual realm. And Deuteronomy 32, verse 8 and 9, speak about that. What's, what's happening in the spiritual realm? It says this. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, like when he spread them out over the world, right? You know, you got your piece right there. You got your piece of land right there. When he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. Now, you might be reading along in a different Bible, and it says the sons of Israel, this is textual criticism. We could talk for hours about this. Um, the Masoretic text has sons of Israel. The Dead Sea Scrolls tradition has the sons of God. But the sons of God makes way more sense because there wasn't any Israel at that, at that moment. But the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob has a lot of heritage. So basically what Deuteronomy says is like, you know, God kind of, he, he separates all these nations to the rest of the world. He goes on with just Abraham, with Jacob, who's Abraham's descendant. I'm going to build my lineage there. I'm going to, they're my inheritance. I'm going to work with them. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure they, you know, they stay close to me as much as they can. I mean, they're still human. And out of their offspring will come forth my son, Jesus, at some, at some point. But here's the interesting thing. The sons of God, that it says right here. You see the same word that, that, there, that is being used in, in Genesis chapter 6 with the, um, the, the divine beings that come into the women and, and they make their own offspring. He basically places those nations under like angels, spiritual beings. He places those, those, those peoples under those, those, those spiritual beings. That's what happened. You know, I mean, if you, if you look at the different parts of the world, they have their own, many of those nations have their own religions. Now, what happened? They were supposed to steward those nations on behalf of Yahweh, on behalf of the Lord. They were supposed to actually make sure that they still were, were, were faithful to Yahweh, but God didn't want to deal with them directly, so, so they had to deal with God through those Spiritual beings. But those spiritual beings rebel. They were like, hey, we actually like it that people pay homage to us, that they, um, that they worship us, that they uh, look for us for provision and all these other things. So, hey, um, let's just kind of cut the tie with Yahweh right here. Let's, let's take all the, all the credit for ourselves. Let's take all the worship for ourselves. So that's what they did. They rebelled against Yahweh. And then Psalm 82, I'm not going to read it. We don't have enough time for that. Psalm 82 speaks about how those gods, how those spiritual beings, those angels were judged for their behavior, for the fact that they actually took that worship for themselves. And it even went further than that. They actually started oppressing the people. And that's what you see happening around the world. I mean, look at the, the Muslim world. They got their God, right? Allah, who was basically appointed over them. But you see how the people are being oppressed by their own religion, by their own gods. You see how the same thing is happening in places like India and, you know, other parts of the world where they have animistic, you know, faiths. It's like people are being abused by their spiritual authorities over them. And, he, and these spiritual authorities, they're real. I mean, Ephesians chapter 6, you got to read that. 
Paul speaks about it. It basically comes full circle right here. Paul says, like, you have these principalities and powers. You know, we're not wrestling with flesh and blood. We're wrestling with principalities and powers, with spiritual beings in the heavenly realms. And they're the ones who are, like, over, who keep control over those nations, who keep them in darkness. And it's our job to, be, to basically bring the light of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, to those nations so they get set free. So they're no longer in prison. Isaiah 61, full circle. That's the story of Scripture right here. And you know, uh, I, um, actually Psalm 2 speaks about the Messiah, Messiah coming, about Jesus coming. It says this, the Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I'll make the nations your inherit, inheritance, and the ends of the earth your possession. So there will be a day when, you know, under the leadership of Messiah, of, Messiah, of, of Jesus, that all these nations that have been estranged from the Lord, that have been cut off from the Lord because of what, what their spiritual authorities have done to them, they will come back into God's inheritance. But Jesus was needed to make this happen. The offspring of Abraham was needed to make this happen. The offspring of David, King David, was needed to make this happen. History is coming full circle. Those nations will come back into the inheritance of the Lord. I mean, I love what, 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 I, what Matthew says. You know, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all nations and then the end will come. This, we're living in the, in the year of God's favor right now. All these different nations, all these different colors, all these different backgrounds, all these different languages, God is inviting them back to the table. He's bringing them back to, the, to, the, to, the, to God's people. We get to be a part of the same thing that the Jews are part of, get to be part of when they also accept their Messiah. And we become one, one people again. This means hope for all of us. This means hope for our family members who are still far away from the Lord. I see people here from Suriname and, 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 and Nigeria and Philippines and Iran and Netherlands and all these other, South Africa, of course, I can't forget South Africa and Spain, obviously, and Armenia. And I don't know which other countries are here. But the Lord wants all these different peoples to come back to him. That's why we're doing what we're doing in Zimbabwe, but also in the 1040 window, which is the Muslim world, and, 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 and Israel, and all these parts, parts of the world through Awakening Alliance, because we know that the gospel of the kingdom has to be preached to all nations before the end will come, and the end is coming soon. Jesus wants to return soon to this world. So what Jesus is saying, back to, you know, back to what happened in the synagogue in uh, Nazareth. He's saying like, hey, there's a year of God's favor. It's starting right now. This scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. But there's something else that will happen. I will be back. I'll be back. I know my, my, my Arnold Schwarzenegger impersonation is not the best one. Okay, shall I try it one more time? I'll be back. I'll be back to bring judgment on the earth. Why is there judgment needed on the earth? Because the earth is a crooked place. You know, with all the injustice that's happened with the poverty, I mean, if, if we put all the money together that's here in the world with all the wealthy people, we can feed the whole world. We don't need to feed 81,000 kids anymore. There's enough money in the world. There's enough resources in this world. There's injustice that's happening right now. 
So we're called to, to follow in the footsteps of Messiah who, who's, who came to bring a year of God's favor, a, a year when, when those that are slaves are, 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 are set free, a year when those who are hurting are, are healed. You know, he started the year of the Lord's favor, but he's coming back to set everything straight. And our goal is, our job is between now and then to invite as many people as possible into his kingdom to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and bring as many people in that are, that are still far away from God at this moment. Our job as a church and as a movement and as, as a fellowship of churches and ministries around the world is to, to make this happen, to see this happen in our day. Not in our own strength, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. Our job is to let the light of Jesus shine in the world around us. I mean, the days we live in at the moment, I mean, are the dark days before Christmas, right? 21st of December, I'm always looking forward to the 21st of December when the days are getting longer again. And then we still get hit by those really cold days in January and February. I hate it. Give me, give me Florida. I should have stayed there. I don't know. No, I, I want to be with you guys. But Jesus is, is coming back and he's inviting us on board with his mission to make sure the year of the Lord's favor gets proclaimed in our businesses, our workplaces, our schools, our neighborhoods, everywhere where we go. The year of the Lord's favor. Felix, you can, yeah, great. It's prophetic. The year of the Lord's favor, favor, grace, love. I mean, don't you just love that love that we have a God who is which is full of loving kindness? I mean, that's an old-fashioned word, right? We don't we don't use it anymore, but it's it's a good translation of this Hebrew word chesed. God is just He lavishes His grace, His love upon us. And you know, I just I just believe, I just know that we cannot give what we don't have, right? So my prayer right now, I believe for us as a church to be successful, I want to give you a little bit of strategy right here. For us to be successful in sharing the good news about the king and his kingdom, proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor is by actually allowing God's love to work deeply in our hearts love of the Father. We can't give what we don't have. And I know we're, you know, it's like the whole world is living on edge. Everybody's, everybody's mad at everything. I'm, I am sometimes. Forgive me, okay? Because the world's crazy. Everybody's going crazy these days. It's because we miss the, the, the relationships, like the social bonding together. It's because you know, everybody's lying at us. It's like we get mad. And when we get mad, I mean, it's, it's important that we go, keep going back to the one who gives us, who pours out his love in our hearts. Because when we are, we're filled with his love, though, that madness, that, you know, that anger can leave our, our system. And not only that, the fear can leave our system. The word says that when, you know, when... Um, 
that God's love poured out in our hearts casts out all fear. That's what the word says. And we live in a society that's struck by fear. It's like if it isn't Omicron, it's fear of another lockdown. If it isn't fear of another lockdown, there's going to be another variant. Or there's Russia, or there's this or that, or the Chinese, or, you know, there's always something to be afraid of, right? But the Lord wants to protect us. He wants us to, to, to stay close to him, that whatever, whatever happens in this world, we know that we can be close to him. We know that he's taking care of us. We don't have to be afraid, whatever happens in this world. We don't have to be afraid. It's easy to say that, but... How do you go from here to there if you're full of fear at this moment? It's only when, when the Holy Spirit, when his love gets poured out in our hearts, that the fear leaves our system. So maybe we could all stand at, at this moment in the presence of the Lord. So I want to pray for you, for us, that his love will fill our hearts to overflowing. That every trace of fear, every trace of anger, every trace of anything that's not like God will leave our system. And that we get filled with more of him. How many of you are hungry for a touch from the Lord this morning? Yeah? I believe he, he looks at us, you know. It's like, remember the story of the, the widow who... Um, had nothing left anymore, and he, she, she had to collect all these, these empty vessels. And, and, and as, as, as long as she had empty vessels, the oil kept coming. That's, that's us. Like, when we collect, when we put our emptiness together, when we, when we say to the Lord, Lord, we're, we're hungry, we're poor, we don't have anything of ourselves, you know, the Lord is attracted to that because he wants to fill us to overflowing. He wants to fill us with love, with grace, with all these things that we need to stay standing in a world like this. Let's just lift our hands to the Lord right now. Let's lift our hands to Jesus. Let's lift our hands and allow the Holy Spirit to fill us right now. Holy Spirit, come down. Fill us. Fill me. Just say that to the Lord. Fill me. Fill me, Holy Spirit. Fill me, Holy Spirit. Just say it in your own words. Fill me, Holy Spirit. Fill me with your love. Fill me with your Peace, fill me with your grace. Fill me, Jesus. God, I want to be so full of you, Lord. That fear and anger and all these other things will have no grip on me anymore. God, that I can walk, that the people around me will see the one who lives in me, that they can see the peace, the shalom who lives in me, that they can see the, the love, the grace that lives in me because it's you who does that in, my, in, in our lives, Lord. Fill us to overflowing, Jesus. Fill us. God, our Father, thank you for your fa the Father's love. Thank you, God, that you're a good, good Father. And even though maybe our earthly fathers haven't been, been very good, Lord, God, you want to touch us and embrace us with your touch right now in the name of Jesus. God, I pray for every single person right now to experience you, Lord, in a way like never before. I pray for your power to come from heaven to fill us, Lord, that we could be your witnesses, we could be your imagers, we could be your representatives in the, in the 
dark and dying world around us. God, so that only you, Jesus, will get the glory. God, knit our hearts together. God, allow us to be the people of God, to be the family of God, Lord, to encourage one another in the midst of crazy times like this, Lord. Knit our hearts together. May your name be glorified, be magnified through our lives, for our families. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And everybody says, amen. Let's give the Lord some praise. We're going to sing a song. Um, it's written by our, 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 our worship team in, in Jacksonville. Lift up your eyes. The king is among us. And, and I want to encourage you to actually lift up your eyes to the king today. To really focus on Jesus this morning as we sing this song. I also want to invite you, you know, um, if, you, if you're not scared or anything, just to find a place of prayer right here. You know, just to kneel down and, 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 and just give the Lord your all. Because like I said, the Lord looks for empty vessels because he can fill us with his presence. He can fill us with his love. You know, and when we cry out to him because we're empty, he's going to fill us. But it, it, it requires us to acknowledge that, to acknowledge our need of him. So we do this through kneeling down. We do this through offering up our whole lives to him. So feel free to do it. I mean, there's no pressure. I'm going to be down here, you know, whoever else wants to join me. Praise the Lord. <laughs>